Hello, and welcome to another Meet Your Species podcast. My name is Heath, and today we have another one of our vintage podcasts from all the way back in 2015, before things got crazy in 2020, which is when it is now. Uh, This podcast was with a good friend of mine named Paul Grzybowski. Paul is a lovely human being who has done a lot of different things. Um, At the time, he was working at the CDC, uh, working with tuberculosis. And... um, This was a very interesting podcast because in 2015, I didn't know him quite as well as I do now. So this really just opened the door to seeing a lot of who he is. And I hope you really get a lot out of it because he is a fascinating person who has been a lot of places and I think you will enjoy what you hear. So with that note, I give you Mr. Paul Grzybowski. All right, Paul, welcome. (laughs) Uh, you said you want to start with the meditation, so... Yeah, um... Allow you to begin. Okay. Uh, just really quick, introduce myself. My name is Paul Grabowski. Um, I am a fellow at the CDC, working under ORISE, um, in the Division of Tuberculosis Elimination. Um, I graduated with a degree at Georgia Tech. I traveled a lot. I spent a lot of my time traveling when I was younger. My parents were military. And um, it gave me a lot of perspective, and I appreciate you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, yeah. I want to start off with a little meditation, very short meditation by someone I really respect, Paramahansa uh, Yogananda, and it's called My Offerings, My Offering to Thee. Each morning I offer my body, my mind, and an ability that I possess to be used by the O Infinite Creator in whatever way thou dost choose to express thyself through me. I know that all work is thy work, and that no task is too difficult or too menial when offered to thee in loving service. Divine Mother, with language of my soul, I demand realization of thy presence. Thou art the essence of of everything. Make me see thee in every fiber of my being, in every wisp of thought. Awaken my heart. Beloved Father, my wordless chants of yearning for thee will sing in cadence with my heart throbs. I shall feel thy presence in all hearts. I shall watch thy hands working in the law of gravitation and in all other natural forces. In the tread of all living creatures, I shall hear thy footsteps. Nice. Who made that again? Who wrote that? Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. He is a yogi, and uh, he uh, made the book. Uh, not he didn't make the book, but the book was made about him. Autobiography of a yogi, and he's he's one of the more current spiritual leaders of the time. And I think he passed away in the fifties. So, um, and he still has a large following of people that carry on his work. And an even larger following of people that read, his read, and try to stay, you know, up to date. I like what it. he's what he's talking about, because it all goes back to source, and that's what he, in his books, talk about. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, good right. stuff. Good stuff. I just wanted to open with that. Yeah, no, that's that set a good tone. I yeah. like it. My offering to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's dive in then. Um, 
So I like to start these off by just kind of going into past so people can get a... Just Perspective, have a, sure. Yeah, just kind of get to know you. So uh, kind of start with where you grew up or how you grew up and impactful experiences in, in this sort of direction. Impactful experiences. Let's, let's start with your, your I, Yeah, well, I'm, I'll tie it all together. Okay. I, I, I grew up military, right? So... My biggest experience was never living in any place for more than maybe two years. And so I didn't, I didn't really have a chance to have a lot of interaction with people my age. I was constantly dealing with people that were older than me, that were trying to give me perspective, trying to help me, me grow my, myself as an entity, as a person, instead of just someone that was kind of following the stream. I was born in Guam, just a small island, uh, Above Indonesia, interesting. In, in between, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I was born in Guam. I was born in Guam, and then we moved to Japan for a few months. And then my first memories, I was I was two or three years old, and we lived in Korea. And that was that was a huge that was like so much fun. There's statuary and there were, there were cherry blossoms and we'd have like little rose petal showers, me and my mom and it was <laughs> we lived at the top of this beautiful hill. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce where we lived. It was it was really pretty. That's where I kind of fell in love with Asian food. <laughs> I cannot get enough dumplings to save my life. Like <laughs> You're in a good yeah. place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then after that we moved we moved back to Japan. So we were in we were in Korea for maybe like two years or so. I moved to Japan and I was there for about a year and a half. And that's when I started first grade or whatever. And then uh, after that, we moved back to the States and I lived in Plano, Texas. And then about a year and a half later, we moved to Georgia. And that's where I started third grade, third, third, fourth, and fifth. And we stayed for about four years. So, so anyway, I didn't start in third grade. It was like fourth and fifth grade. So I remember I got through about half of my seventh grade and then we moved to Washington state and then I finished up middle school and went, did two years in high school and we were there for about four years. And then after that from Washington state, we moved back to Georgia and that's where um, my mom retired and then we moved back here. She, we already had a piece of property out in Appling and that was their dream is to always have this property out in Appling where they could grow their own food and they could have their own animals, husbandry, raise their own animals and uh, it's it's what they're doing right now. And after that, you know, I finished up high school last two years of high school, my junior and senior year at Greenbrier, and I uh, went to Georgia Tech for five years up in Atlanta. Got a degree in chemistry, a minor in material science engineering, research option certificate, and um, you know, a couple publications. And I uh, took some time off after I graduated. Went to Burning Man. Did all of, did spent three months touring country including all california up and down the coast four or five times over <laughs> and then uh you know came back home and sat around for a little while and got a job in atlanta working at a crappy crappy company and left there and started uh you know i had a, had a really good friend of mine from college that i hadn't talked to in almost a year and a half and he randomly hit me up and was like hey there's an opening in cdc sweet and here we are today. Very nice. Yeah. So that's that's all of it in a nutshell. Yep. Good deal. So what do you think you got out of that um, 
Or what, what do you think you've noticed that's different about you from your experience that helps you think differently than the, most people you meet that have had like roots in one place? Perspective. A lot of people get so stuck thinking that where they are is the way the rest of the world is. And you gotta, you, you have to be in a certain place to, to just get, become so close-minded, you know? Because yeah, yeah. the world is so big, and there's so many people. Like, I was never raised in a world of prejudice, where, like, let's say you're raised here in the South. You might have prejudice towards black people, or towards Mexicans, or towards people who basically are white, whatever. You know, I was never raised around that, because I lived in Korea. I was the oddball. I was the minority in, in half the places I lived. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I never felt that towards anybody. And so being able to be raised in that type of that type of culture, it made me it made me very appreciative of what I had. And especially because friends, when you're only living in a place for two years, you know what I mean? Like every and everyone else is military. Everyone's moving constantly. So if you found a friend, that was that was kind of a big deal. That was something you held on to. That was someone you kept close to you. That was someone that you cared for, and not just because that they understood what you were going through, but they really, they they were they really got it. They were there. They actually lived the type of life you lived, and they were able to understand the experiences that you went through. And it wasn't just oh, you know, we were stuck in the same place for ten years, so we kind of got to know each other. It was like you know, right. they had moved around the whole world their entire life. I had moved around the world my entire life. We finally we met up at a certain place. We were able to connect, and from there it was it was a solid reality, you know. Definitely. So I mean, that's I mean, that's in a nutshell, basically. I, I think that's kind of yeah. Are there are there uh, a group of people that you still keep in contact from that experience? I was I was so young when I was doing all of that. There's a whole bunch of people that I still remember very well. There's yeah. some. Uh, I got a book. From when I was in when I was in Japan the second time, and I was old enough to remember being in Japan. I got a I had a, I had a birthday. And my friend my friend Jason he gave me a book. And it was like this little this book about like a, like a dragon or something. And I still have that book, and I still have like his little handwritten note in there. That's you know cool. what I mean. And then uh, when I was in Texas, I got a I got a birdhouse from a good from a good friend of mine named Stephanie, and she I still have that birdhouse. You know, which is which is really cool. You know, because yeah, yeah. it's just things that you you don't think you would ever really hold on to, but they still they still mean a lot. You yeah. know, and it's still still something that's there. And if anything, really, it just puts in perspective like what a good friend is. Because now, when I meet good people at at this age, where I can where I have a little bit more control over keeping in contact, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because at that time, I was so young. The internet wasn't around, so right. keeping in contact with those types of people, especially with a lot of moves, it was really impossible. Hard. Basically, impossible because the only thing we had you had was a phone number. Then, second they moved, they didn't tell you what they were moving to. Right, game over. <laughs> it stopped <laughs> right there. That was the that was the end of it. <laughs> no forwarding address across countries. Yes, <laughs> across multiple countries, like not just like your state, like across the street. But yeah. So, but yeah, so, you know, that's, that's where like my, my heart for my friends came from because I, I realized at least from a young age, like how hard it was to find people that really understood you and really cared about 
who you were and what you were trying to do with your life and wanted to be a part of that, of your growth and your development and saw themselves as a, as a way to help, to help you facilitate that, but also as a way for them to help facilitate it with you, you know? So, so are there any of those friends along the way or maybe family members, uh, just people along the way that help shape the way you think? There were, there were a couple, there were a couple big hitters in my life. I'll go and quickly talk about my mom and dad. But, I mean, I'm just, I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying in general, so there's like, so there's my mom and my dad and they, they have always been a huge part of my life because I didn't have a lot of friends because we were constantly moving. There's the family unit was a very, was a very tiny. Hang on, hang on. That's your phone. Oh, I was like, that is so loud. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's all good. Uh, so, so my parents, they were, they were, they were really, I mean, it did not say that I was, my childhood was not easy. Like there was a lot of family dynamic that went on that for, for what I was going through at my age, I would never want any child to have to go through. You know what I mean? Not because it's too hard or because it's too difficult, just because like, if taken out of context, it can really put a person in a negative space. And the thing is that, I mean, because of the way I was raised, I was able to look past the perspective of child and parent to see what was really happening and why it was going down the way it was and where I was fitting into this puzzle and how it was only really a matter of time until I could figure myself out of this puzzle. Where I could, where I could at least be able to explain my feelings and why I was feeling that way. Because especially as a child, when you're feeling a lot of angst about something, you're just angry. You don't know exactly why you're angry. And explaining that to an adult, like they need more substance yeah. than just anger. And it's hard to think when you're angry too. So. Exactly. Or you're feeling jealous or guilty or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they have always been an integral part of my life because they've they've always told me that I can do whatever I want. Like, not literally, but I'm talking metaphorically. Like, whatever I've decided to do with my life, they are there to support me 100%. No matter what happens, they're there. And that if ever I fall, I have a place to land, you know? And that's what my parents have always been for me. That's what they will always be for me. And that's that's why they are such a huge part of my life. And then I had a a religious figure, Gene Connor. This was during um, my time um, when I first, I think it was when I first came here when I was doing elementary and middle school. And then when I came back to do finish up high school, he was, he was kind of there in different stages, mm-hmm. but we, uh, we used to go to church at Christ church unity. Unity church is a Christian based church that talks more about using the Bible as a reference for your life than as a literal guideline for your life, you know? And so it was, it was much more open-minded and the way Gene would speak to me, he would constantly try and get me to come up with my own ideas about how everything happens and about why it happens. You know, it wasn't so structured. It was, it was much more open to interpretation 
It was much more, how can I help you see that this is something that can make you a better person instead of this is what you need to be to be a better person. And that was, and he was one of, one of the big figures that helped me spiritually grasp a lot of the ideas that I have now from a very young age. And then lastly, I had, I had Dr. John Bradley, and these are, these are both people that passed. They're not here with us anymore. And, uh, you know, Dr. Bradley, he was, he was a person I played jazz with. He was my, he was basically like the jazz, jazz teacher at ASU. Yeah. He was one of those people, he was a straight shooter. You know what I mean? You show up, you show up on time, you're late. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on time when you're 15 minutes early. You know what right. I mean? And so he was the person that helped set up structure in my life. Not saying I have that same structure now, but it was the mental, like the building of the mental structure of if you want to be this, this is how you approach it. And this is how you, this is the person you have to be in order to make that your reality. Right, right. You know what I mean? No excuses, just this is exactly, the exactly. You no excuses. He'd tell us, "Stop sucking on the horn." <laughs> He's like, "You suck it. You suck it on the horn." He's like, "I'm gonna give you a lollipop because you're sucking right now." <laughs> and one time, he literally brought dum dums and he threw them at us. <laughs> you ought to suck it. He just throw lollipops at us. He was he was joking, but it was it was a really funny joke because he said he'd always do it, and he finally did it. And it was hilarious, but you know, those That's are cool. some of the. You know, I had other people in my life, you know, I was, uh, you know, uh, Mr. J, Randy, Mr. Hensley, these are people that I was doing, taking martial arts with, you know, I did martial arts for four and a half years and I got a black belt and those are the people I studied under and they, they gave me confidence, you know, they gave me the structured confidence I needed to be able to support who I am and who I wanted to be. You know, like there's a whole bunch of people in my life that put in little, little bits of the puzzle here and there, at least to get me to the point where I got to college that I could, I could just be myself. I could figure out not only what being myself was, but who being myself is. That's a, it's a tough one for a lot of people. It is, it is, it is, it is really tough and it is really tough for a lot of people. And that's all, I feel like that's that's the greatest struggle, is figuring out what you what you want to do with your life. And that all comes from from knowing who who you are and why you're here. You know yeah. what I mean? Dude, so lost. Such a big world. Dude, well, and I I think because of the internet, there's just so much information on who you could be that people can get lost in it's all daunting. the possibilities. It's daunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't take that time to disconnect and really think about what you want, sometimes you just never get out. Absolutely, absolutely, can't disagree with that. <laughs> so, uh, I guess going on to that, or, or building on that, you, your life—you've got all these experiences that have shaped you. Where, where are you now? You said you work at the CDC, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a great job. The people I work for are, I mean, literally the best bosses I've ever had in my entire life. Um, they're they're amazing people. The CDC is a great institution to work to work to work in to be a part of. Um, considering all that they do, not just here in the United States for present, preventing disease here in our country, but what they do globally around the world to help to help others, you know. 
So can I ask what exactly that is? Because I, I know Center for Disease Control, it seems straightforward, but yeah. there's got to be so much of it that we just don't see or don't understand. There's, so. yeah, there's, there's, there's more to talk about than I would have time to talk about, <laughs> you know, but. Let's start with what, what you do then. Okay. What do I do? So I wake up every day <laughs> and I go to work. And at work, my 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 job is is uh is I do a surveillance program for spoligotyping. Spoligotyping is basically a type of genetic barcode, so that we can analyze um, the specifics of a sample from a person, or maybe not a person, maybe an animal, right? Because mm -hmm. there's all sorts of types of investigations via epidemiology, trying to figure out where an outbreak or started or what is spreading an outbreak and so my job is to basically just do a lot of genotyping I walk into the lab I get DNA I prep it I put it on our, uh, our PGM personal genome machine and it spits out a whole bunch of data and then I go back through all of that data I comb through it organize it and then I assemble it in a nice pretty Excel file and then it tells us a pattern okay. and this pattern is what we use to to look at outbreaks and to see if there are any links genetically from person to person in these outbreaks. Because epidemiology more details upon, was this person in the same place as this person? Could they be eating the same food? Could they have been in contact through this, this, or that? This is taking all of those out of the out of perspective and just looking solely at the DNA. Okay, so, so someone reports yeah something based on what disease or whatever, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not even like that. Like, so an out, let's, let's say from the very beginning, someone gets sick with, with something that is suspected to be tuberculosis. Okay. That sample is then sent to a lab where it is then cultured. And then that culture is then, the DNA is extracted out of it and then is sent to us. And then we take that DNA and we do our processing and we develop this genetic barcode for that particular culture. Okay. And then we take that information and we put it into a database. And this database is, is open so that we can, we as all the scientists and all the people who are looking at TV, we can all look at it. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know. So, so you're breaking down this information as it comes in, filtering out all variables that might make it not Applicable or, or not. Uh, I mean, I mean, they they know it's they know what it is before it gets to us. Generally, like, like we do have things that are not TB that are still mycobacteria. You know what I mean? In the same family. But like you were saying, if someone's eating the same food or whatever, like those kind of factors and correlations. But we don't. That's not something we look at. We're completely unbiased to all of that. Okay. And that's a, that's what I really like about our job is that we don't have any bias towards those types of those types of things. It is solely just genetics. We don't, we don't get close, we don't get intimate, we don't get super detailed with the patients and their backgrounds or whatever, whatever. It's just numbers. It's okay. all numbers. And that's the way we like to keep it. Yeah. You know, because that way we can offer our opinion based on our data and we can give it to an epidemiologist who has his opinion about his data. And then from there, we can make, not we, they can make a consensus on that information. Okay. 
So we kind of teach them how to look at what we do. And then we help we help them understand our data so that they can make a consensus of what's going on. So that they can go and talk, contact the public health centers in whatever state that it's okay. located in. And this is all different parts of the CDC? Oh, this is, oh way? yeah, this is, I mean, this is a lot bigger than the CDC. The CDC is a hub. The CDC is just a hub of information. And when things happen, people come, because the federal government, because we're a part of the federal government, we cannot just jump in and be like, we're taking over. Mm -hmm. It's not how that works. We have to be asked to come and help. So generally something happens if it is out of the scope of whatever state or whatever country that it is happening in, there is a, there's a, an ask, there's a plea for help. Mm -hmm. And then we, as, as we as in the CDC, the CDC generally will then weigh the decision of whether to know or not to lend that help, usually for, and then we go in and we help assess the situation. We build an infrastructure to help make sure that people are being taken care of. And then we go and we try to figure out where it's coming from, why it's there, how to stop spreading it, how to treat the patients. Because that's what it's really all about, is making people not sick and eradicating disease worldwide. It's not just about here in this country. And so that's where the CDC, where you were saying before, like how, what is the CDC really doing? The CDC's huge. We're not just, we have, there's the CDC has several campuses, you know? Globally. I mean, sure. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say specifics because I don't know specifics. All I know is there's three here in Atlanta, at least, you know? And then there's, and then there's, and we have little places all over the world. You know what I mean? Not, I don't know if there's specifically there's a sign that says our name with <laughs> gilded in CDC letters. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's gilded and like whatever, whatever, but it, you know, we're there. Just like we're there for the Ebola outbreak right now. There are like, personally, we get emails all the time to either, if we're, I mean, I'm not an FTE employee, I'm not an official CDC employee. FTE means you're an official paid employee of the CDC. I am not an official paid employee of the CDC. I work for the Oak Ridge Institute of Science and Education, ORICE. Okay. They give me money to work at the CDC because the CDC has a thing with them where they're allotted X amount of funding, whatever, whatever. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm divulging anything that's too specific. I know I can't talk about everything, but I can at least... But essentially, uh, your job helps you work with the CDC. Yeah, I mean, my, my job is I'm like, uh, I'm a I'm a paid assistant, right? Yeah. You have okay. O'Rice who's like, we have a million dollars to hire X number of people to go and help the CDC. <laughs> you know what I mean? For and sure. so that's how that all gets broken down. Good deal. And so those people get the funding gets split. And then people get hired, and then you're allowed to stay. It's, it's done on a yearly basis, sometimes on a three-year period, whatever, whatever. That's so, right. Yeah. That's a, it's a very interesting job. I mean, I'm sure some of it might get a little tedious, but uh, yeah. how do you feel about it in terms of, like, does it, does it really open your eyes to things that you just didn't know about, or is it just right up the, your alley with your field of study and stuff you were already interested in? I mean, 
it's it's really it's really done a lot from my perspective from the standpoint of you you generally think of of like big government as this this gigantic entity that has eyes and ears everywhere and they know everything and they just see everything and from a from a very far perspective it's probably more closer to truth than fiction but on a more realistic basis is that you have you have individuals you have people that have kids that have lives that have jobs that are only there to support themselves you know what i mean this isn't i mean yes there's i'm sure there's part secret organizations whatever whatever in the government that do whatever things that none of us are ever going to know about that none of us are ever going to know about that are surveilling everybody whatever whatever but like generally it's just a bunch of people trying to make a living and that was the one biggest thing that I really appreciated when I got to the CDC is I realized that all these people here whatever conspiracy theory you have heard about the CDC it's bullshit (laughs) (laughs) the CDC is filled with people just like your parents just like your friends just like your family. Like, and they are only there because they get paid to do what they do. And the thing is that a lot of them love doing what they do. They love genotyping. They love looking at all these diseases. They love figuring out ways to help people. This is public health. This is public service. And that's what it all comes back to. Mm-hmm. It's the love service. of public service and helping people. Nice. Yeah. Do you... Hmm. So would you say that... As, as a scientist, sure. Well, let me let me rephrase this. As a scientist, could you give me a little little insight into why you chose the field of science and why you think most other people who are scientists chose that that you come into contact with? Like from your experience, what's their what's their motivation? Because I'm sure it gets tiring to be so diligent, so detail oriented with some of these things you have to do just to make sure it's done correctly, to make sure you get the correct answer. The thing is that everyone does it for different reasons. There's never the same two reasons for any person. Some people do it for money. Some people do it out of curiosity. I'd say the vast majority, though, I'd say a lot of people do, do what they do with science because they can't see themselves doing anything and that's kind of how, at least, I mean, I could, I could do a lot of things with my life, but I feel like science, particularly biology and chemistry, they fulfill a need that I have for that level, for that tier of, of not, not just uh, uh, intelligence, because you have to, if you're going to be a part of the conversation, in, in that field, you have to know the ins and outs. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just you're just a paid monkey. You're right. Paid, you're a paid monkey that steps into a lab and does stuff, and you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? You can have a robot do your job. The difference between a robot and a scientist is the scientist has the forethought to think about what it's doing and why it's doing it, and to be able to troubleshoot and to be able to think ahead. About, oh, okay, if we get these types of results, then that means this. And then from there, I need to go and start follow this trail over here to start doing this type of research to go and figure out that. And then once I figure out that, then I can go over to this section and be able to develop a drug. 
or be able to develop a therapy or be able to do something with it. It's it for me. It's like my brain is constantly racing, and I need something that has that kind of structure that's going to force me to sit down and it's going to force me to really focus in that moment on every little aspect of what I'm touching. Because at any at any moment, anything you do can very quickly go wrong. The just whole, like you mess up the calculation or something. I mean, not just calculations, but like especially like okay. So in the chemistry lab, it was very much calculation based. You have this of this molarity. You have this of this molarity. You need a blend, a two to one part mix, right? And this can only be X concentrated because if you combine it too quickly, then it'll catch on fire or something like that. So there's a lot of calculations involved. Biology, I feel like it's 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 very equally calculation based, but it's more about keeping things clean. Because it's a lot harder, because things can aerosolize very easily, and so you have to be very careful about what, like how your pipetting technique, and like the way you move things in and out of hoods, and the way you treat your DNA samples. Like everything has to be very mindful. You have to be very um, exact and particular, and to make sure that what you're doing. Is 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 at a standard that is worth publishing, you know. And it's the same thing in chemistry. It's just different, you know what I mean. Instead of using pipettes, we're like dealing with reactions and flasks and columns, and you know, filtering chemicals through silica to try and get a pure spot of that compound, so you can then take an NR IR mass spec, you know, so you can get all the data and put it all together and be like, yes, I I totally got what I thought I did. <laughs> like, like what I was aiming for it's actually there like I can you can see all the little bombs they're they're tripping to each other like <laughs> it's like oh my god it's freaking out I'm just like, imagining what this mad science lab I mean it's pretty much I mean at least in, in chem, like biology the labs are much more tame but in chemistry the labs are pretty much what you would expect them to be pretty crazy yeah I mean you walk in and you can smell the chemistry in the air. <laughs> you're, you're like, I'm in a place where there's lots of cancer. <laughs> like, cancer's just a foot everywhere. <laughs> like, don't touch anything too much. <laughs> All right. You know? So, <laughs> as opposed to biology lab, you're like, well, as long as you're not working with anything that's going to make you sick, mm-hmm. you're, 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 you feel pretty safe. You're like, oh, there's DNA. But, I mean, like, DNA's on everything. Yeah. <laughs> you sweat DNA. Like DNA's floating through the air, you know, like tree tree spores, you know, like other dander and pollens and stuff. Like it's all just it's all there. You know what I mean? Like all about the DNA. Yeah, it's just it's all just foot like you're constantly in contact with DNA. So it's not as dangerous. What's dangerous is having an active organism. Especially not having protective equipment on when you're dealing with these types of organisms or not knowing how to how to protect yourself in those types of scenarios, which is why the Ebola outbreak problem in Africa is such a big deal. For sure. The more, uh, the more I watch video clips and news reports on it, I yeah. just... So let's, let's go into that. Let's go into, not necessarily Ebola, unless that's something that's important to you, but uh, mostly just what is important to you that's going on right now in the world. Or in Atlanta, or just wherever. Sure. There's a lot of things that are really important to me. I think the overarching, overarching ideal that I am having issues with the rest of the world 
so we're not seeing each other as a, as a as a collective organism. And I'm not talking about just humans. I'm talking about our interaction as humans with the rest of this planet. We separated ourselves at X point of time in the past from the rest of the natural world and decided to create our own world to become our own god in this place where there is infinite possibility. And here we are. But in this space, we have done nothing but ruin everything we've touched. And granted, there's a lot of good that happens, but there's only a lot of good that happens because we fucked it up, and then we decided to go back and try and fix it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Literally, yeah, like, oh, we completely destroyed this, you know, this, this, this whole area. We've just completely destroyed, like, this entire rainforest. I guess all the animals need something to live in. I guess we'll plant some trees. <laughs> never know mind what kind of trees or what kind of system. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just like it's like come on, Pete. It's like come on, guys. Like we're all we're all here on this speck of dust, floating in this giant ether called space. And you would think that because this speck of dust is the only speck of dust within millions of light years, the only one we can get to. Yeah, that we can that we can get to that that is reasonable of having this sort of having life that we would take that and we would we would really expand upon that idea and hold this entire planet as an entity instead of taking this planet as 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 a thing that houses individuality there's nothing wrong with being an individual but being an individual you still have to have perspective you're still part of the whole yeah, you don't exist without everything else. Everything else, exactly. It's impossible. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. You'd be somewhere else. You'd be in another life, on another planet, in another space, in another universe, in another piece of time. If you anywhere know? at all. If any, exactly. If not just a mind, a thought floating through space and time, mm -hmm. as we know. <laughs> so, I mean, exactly. And I feel like I feel like that's the real problem. And so when it when it comes to the Ebola outbreak. It's because we're, I'll, I'll touch on the on the a current event because of the Ebola outbreak, people are becoming really scared of something they don't know anything about, and that's kind of the whole point of fear is that fear thrives out of ignorance, and not ignorance in the way of negativity as in oh you're ignorant you're stupid you're whatever ignorance as in you just don't know you just yeah, don't yeah. understand. So like I've never experienced me, it. Put me in the CDC lab. I am ignorant. I don't know what I'm doing. Exactly. And so you can't expect someone in a state of ignorance to know, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not anyone's. It's not a fault. It's not a blame game. It's just hey, if we have the knowledge, there's no reason for you to be ignorant anymore. Yeah. Like if you are willing to learn, and there are people out there that are willing to teach you, then why not take the opportunity? You know that I mean? seems to be a common issue, though. People just don't seem to give a shit. I mean, I don't know if it's people that not don't seem to but give a shit, or if it's that they. F it's. I feel like at some point, a whole, a large portion of the population is trained monkeys. Well, when you think about isn't how far away we are from primates, that's why I say monkeys. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. one percent difference in our DNA from us and a chimp. You know what I mean? Like yeah. But don't you think that's kind of what our education system has done? I don't think it's just. I don't think it's just education. I think it, it's an entire. I think it. I think it stems all the way from parenting to education to government, and then all the way back again. Like a loop. It's a. It's a. It's a very big loop. 
and it has a lot of pieces in there. But I feel like if you have parents that are constantly working and there is no central, whether it's religious or whether it's ethnic background, to focus that energy to the family unit, to make a strong family unit as to why you're spending time with this child and why you are raising this child, and not only why you are raising this child, but it takes why this child is a part of this community, right? Because it takes a village to raise some to raise a person. You know, it's not just two parents. You know, right, it's every other everybody that they're interacting with. You know, and that's where it gets lost. And so, if these people are constantly working and they're not spending their time with their child, you're having you're you're not instilling good attributes into this person. So they're already starting at a disadvantage. And then you put this this person in a school system that is not trying to necessarily teach them something, teach, like not necessarily trying to help them learn. They're trying to teach them. I have a feeling there's a difference between learning and teaching. Teaching is you sitting down and someone just sitting there with a ruler wrapping into your brain. Like, this is math, this is science, this is history. Remember. Like, remember, remember, remember. You know? But I feel like learning is a is a process. It's a complex process. Something that we genetically have evolved to, just like every other animal and everything else on this planet, where we were where you adapt to your environment. You are received a stimulus. From that stimulus, you are able to make conclusions about the outcome. And then once the outcome is there, you can either you can go back and reassess whether those assumptions were correct, whether they weren't, or whether there's something, a whole other factor that was involved that you didn't account for. Mm -hmm. Right? And so if you're able to think of that type of thought and you go into a situation where you're being taught instead of learning, you're able to remove yourself and observe it through a perspective of learning instead of just teaching. And that's something that's a whole, I didn't even really start thinking about it like that until I got into college, where, I had, where it dawned on me, holy shit, maybe if I want to be a chemist, I might have to learn chemistry. <laughs> not just sit here and not passively take here. people's anger. Exactly, not just sit here and passively pass tests. Yeah, yeah. Which is what the teaching part is. And I, it's I, a number, you know? And I really feel like a lot of college... They, they, they're making college so easy that you can passively. Like when I was I was at Gainesville State for about a year and a half up in, uh, in Georgia, not the Florida one. Sure. And I remember in English class, I literally maybe spent a half hour writing a paper, every paper I got, and I got an A on all of them. And it was not, that doesn't seem right. Like I, I feel like if I'm at college, I should have to put effort into it. I should have to actually try and I didn't have to and that bothered me. Depends on the standards of the school. Well I mean this wasn't I mean, I'm, not, I'm just I'm just saying because if you were an excellent writer, if that's your if that's what you want to do for the rest of your life is write, it may only take you thirty minutes to write something that's fantastic. But you know what I mean? I'm just good at bullshitting. To, I mean, to the level of degree that they require. <laughs> to the, to like, their level of acceptable ability of exactly. bullshit. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and, that's, a very, and that's a very real thing. But I, I, really, I really think this is, and this is going all the way back to why you asked me why chemistry, why science. It's because it's practical. I had a moment, I remember the exact moment. I was in my AP chemistry class back in high school, and, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on his name. My teacher at the time, I remember in a minute. My teacher at the time he took a he took a flask, he put zinc into it, he put some hydrochloric acid, 
and that produced hydrogen gas. And then he took another flask and filled it with hydrogen peroxide and um, I think it was maybe like a little bit of potassium iodide and that produced oxygen gas. And then he put these things both into the same balloon, right? So he basically blew up this balloon using materials that you could find out here in the real world. And then he took this balloon, he tied it off, he held it at the end of a yardstick, he, he took a candle, he lit it, and it blew up. And that explosion was what stimulated everything for me. Because that's when I realized, oh shit, you can get zinc out of a battery. It was manganese dioxide. It was manganese dioxide, and it was uh, hydrogen peroxide. Okay. So you, in a regular Duracell battery, it has, generally, the old batteries, they have a zinc casing, a carbon core, and a manganese dioxide outer filling. Mm -hmm. And so you have all the materials right there. You can do the exact same experiment at your own home, at your own leisure. And so now not we're suggesting opening no, batteries. No, not that so, I'm so <laughs> saying you should go and open batteries or blow shit up. No. no I'm, just saying, I'm just saying that you science could. is practical. That you can go home with the right amount of research, with the right amount of safety, the minor right amount of respect, and you could do it at your own home. You know, and do the same thing with biology. It's very simple. You can grow plants. Oh, this plant has a trait that I like. This plant has another trait that I like. They do not have the same traits that I like, right? Mm -hmm. So you can combine their genetic information, and after X amount of generations and selective breeding, you can then have a plant that has all the traits that you wanted. And you can sit down and you can calculate the percentages. Oh, if I, if I breed it like this, then I have a 75% chance of having it like this. So I have to have at least X amount of seeds like from, from this plant and this plant in order to make this type of product. You know what I mean? So you can break. So if you have the intelligence, if you have the want to learn, you can take that knowledge and you can bring it into the real world. So it's not just something that's sitting in a textbook that's gaining dust. Something that is actually applicable to your life. And that's why I started doing science. As I had that, when I saw that balloon blow up, I had that realization, holy shit, this is real. Like, this isn't just something out of science fiction. It's just not that, like, the cartoon where the chemist in the lab is mixing shit and it blows up in his face and his hair is blown back and you're like, you know, wow, yeah, uh, crazy scientist. <laughs> this, is like, this, is, this is something real. This is something tangible. This is something that can affect people. This is something that can change the world. It can literally change the world. And it all starts from that first moment that you realize that it's applicable to everything. Okay. So, so going off that, back to things that you think are important. How, how uh, apart from obviously the CDC is definitely an extension of that thought, uh, are there more, more things that that you think need addressing and, and you feel science is a really good way to move forward with that? I Sure. Um, first and foremost, I feel like the way we deal with disease, uh, whether bacterial, viral, fungal, parasitic, mental, like people who have mental instabilities, people who have physical deformities, I feel like the way we treat disease as a whole, all diseases, is inadequate. I feel like we as a society are much more willing these days, maybe it wasn't like this in the past, but these days we're much more willing to take those people 
that are sick and just throw them off to the side say, hey, they're not the majority. Why do we have to worry about it? Isn't that what asylums were? Yeah. I mean, yeah, literally. Yeah. It was like, oh, my child's fucked up. Well, I'm just going to put him in an asylum. They'll take care of him. I don't want to deal with him. He's yeah. the appropriate level of crazy and beyond fine. But... Yeah, exactly. And it's so sad because in these places, especially during the times when asylums were first opening, they were doing electroshock shock therapy and they were taking ice picks to people's brains, doing lobotomies. Yeah. And how humane is that? Yeah, that doesn't solve anything. It doesn't solve anything. Which goes back to your point of people just, we're going to fix this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And so, that's, and so that's what I'm saying. It's like people don't realize that to fix a problem, it takes more than a silver bullet. There will never be a silver bullet for anything, ever. And if anyone tells you there is, they're literally lying to you. They're lying straight out their mouth to you. And whether they realize they're lying or they knowingly know that they're lying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there's never going to be a silver bullet. Get, like, people need to just get over that fact. People need to realize if they want to lose weight, they got to do more than take a pill. People want to be happy, they got to do more than take a pill. They got to get outside, they got to exercise, they got to breathe some fresh air, they got to have a good diet. Like, it's a, to have what people need is a therapy, a well rounded therapy. And I feel like that's the way we can start healing people from the inside out is realizing that when someone is sick, you're not just treating the sickness. Because you can be sick and have a good mindset and be able to heal from that without anything. Mm -hmm. But you can have someone that's much healthier with the same sickness, who has a horrible mindset, who ends up getting way sicker because they aren't mentally in the space of healing. They're in a space of sickness and victimization. Yeah. That's such a big thing. I. I come across people all the time, and the way they think about things is always something done to them versus, particularly in religion. It's a Victim, victimization cycle. Yeah, like, I don't understand why people are so for a system which basically says everything is predetermined and all this, and that what, what what's the point? You don't have free will at that point. But if you believe that you can change things, even if it's metaphorical, if you're taking any of this... You can't sure. change things. You sure. have potential. And see, I feel like if you want to, if you want to talk about religion for a second, there is no free will. And I know I'm going to get outraged because of this. And that's fine. I'm going, to let, I'm going to let the I'm going to let the air sit there just for a moment. And the reason I say there's no such thing as free will is because the end goal is the same goal. There is no choice in where you end up. If there, let's say, if there is a source that gave you the energy for life and you are then existing away from this source in a space where you can experience this life as an individual, eventually you're going to have to go back, right? As the pieces all collect back together, they all come back to the source. Where it comes is where it goes, right? And so from that perspective, there is no free will. Because no matter what you do, eventually, you're going to end up back where you started. You know? Now, how you get there is the free will. You can take as long as you want on this thing, on this wheel called time, to get back to source. You can take as long as you want. You can take an infinite amount of time to just meld in this pot until you realize that you are only heading back to where you started. So, from right. that, whether someone believes in like your soul, your energy, or even just take materialist view and your sure. atoms, it's still sure. coming back. It's still always going back 
to source. I can see that. You know what I mean? Whether exactly whether what no matter what perspective you're looking at it from, it started in A. You can go through the alphabet as many times as you want. Eventually, you're going to come back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, from that perspective, there is no free will. Because if there was free will, you'd be able to go somewhere that wasn't beginning. You would be able to end somewhere that wasn't the beginning. But that's impossible. Isn't that what the yogis believe, though? They can go on, leave their body, and retain their memories. And sure, but, that, but they're still going back to source. They're still going back to where they started from. We all started from, let's say, let's say, we all started from this thing called God, right? We ran away from this thing called God to a space where God does not exist. To a space that is not holy, where any, where all possibilities, good and bad, can occur, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, once you are done with this cycle of good and bad, there's only one other place for you to go, right? Because now we're talking about inception, a bubble within a bubble. You have the bubble of God, and within this bubble of God, you have the bubble of life, and the bubble of good and bad, right? And all mm -hmm. this other stuff. And so you think you're outside of really you're still within and so you're not really going anywhere you haven't gone anywhere of. you're just ignorant of and so that's where I say you really don't have any free will and I said I mean in your life you have tons of free will you have all the choices to make and in all of your lives you will have all the choices to make in all the time and spaces of things that you could be in the possibilities of all that have ever been you will have free will but the start and the end are the same point so okay. you really you don't have any free will because you still start and end at the same point. Just like if you're running a race, right? Right. Right. And you can't run off of the race. Like, there's no, you can, you can run off the path as much as you want, but you still have to finish the race. Let's say you're contractually obligated to finish the race. It doesn't matter if it takes you 30 years, 40 years, 10 minutes, 30 minutes. You still have to come back to where you started. That's how a race does. You start, you finish, generally the same point, right? Mm -hmm. So, do you have free will? Yes. But do you really? Not really. So, so you don't have free will in the destination, but you do in the journey. Absolutely. Okay. You, have, you have free will in however long or whatever part and pieces of the journey you want to take, but you do not have free will in the sense that where you start and where you end will all be the same location, the okay. same, same place. So it doesn't matter how you got there, high road, low road, we all get to the same point. And on that token, it really doesn't matter what path you take. And that's the and that's the beauty of life in the universe, my friend. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. And then what's get it gets to the point where you're able to take that and to realize that you don't have to be anybody you're not. It's because you can be who you are. Who you are is who you are meant to be on that path to get to where you are supposed to be. It takes off all the pressure and the anxiety from society from this world of who you have to become. And you can just be yourself. You don't have to be anything other than who you are. And that's what I think is so beautiful about spirituality. Not necessarily religion, but spirituality. Something that you realize exists outside of yourself. That to me is what spirituality is. Realizing there's something outside of yourself that has existed and always existed that has created what you are and is giving you the chance to experience yourself as an individual. Religion is then the structure of that thought and idea, the structuring 
through symbolic representation, through figures, you know, mm -hmm. individuals or multiple individuals or multiple gods, however you want to picture it for yourself. Sure. You know what I mean? There's all there's infinite amount of religions in the world. There all there always will and always will be. You know, yeah. there's an infinite amount of possibilities, but they all lead back to the same place. So. <laughs> like, are you really you know at the end of the day do you have the free will <laughs> yeah. fair enough it's a good talk we should make a whole video just to explain and help people get over anxiety yeah I mean yeah anxiety in these and those are things because anxiety fear pain sadness these are things that didn't used to exist these are things that are taught these are things that are learned throughout a society. These are things that, not just society, but in life, in this particular life. And why? Because we exist in a world of duality, where there is a light and a dark to everything in this universe. Right? It's, uh, I think the middle one looks like it's running low on battery. Was Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not worried about it. Anyway, let's jump on track. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's return back to our original topic. I could, I could literally talk about God and religion all day because I feel like people have got it all wrong. But, you know, that's my personal. Uh, we'll have another podcast yeah. that's not this that yeah. we can talk about. Sure. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's get back. Are there any, any more uh, things you'd like to talk about that uh, of, of things that are... Um, Issues with the world that you, you yeah I didn't, I didn't get a chance to finish my talk about Ebola yeah let's go so, back, let's go back to Ebola so really so just really quick what people don't know about Ebola people don't know about Ebola people don't realize is that Ebola is affecting not just the people who get the disease it's affecting the people who are trying to take care of those people it's affecting the healthcare workers you think about how the disease is spreading the disease is not necessarily spreading because one person is giving it to another random person who's giving it to another random person is spreading because people are sick then they come to a central location to receive help and places where they're going to get help aren't resourced appropriately and then the people who are trying to help those people they catch it and then everyone else that comes to that hub catches it and then when they can't they don't have anywhere else to go when they go back home. And so then you have families that are getting sick. What's even worse is that because of the rituals that they have in burying and taking care for their dead, they clean their, they, bodies, they, they clean their bodies and they ritualistically touch and kiss the dead as a symbolic representation of their love for that person, their affection for that person, how much they, they appreciated them in their life and what they gave, right? And so especially because Ebola spreads by water, Anything that is produced that out of your body that has water in it, semen, it's blood, sweat, anything, just everything, everything, the whole seventy percent of your body, anything that is the part of that seventy percent of your body that comes out of your body that's excreted in some form or fashion contains Ebola. If you have a bathtub and you're washing someone, your whole you have your entire family washing this person, their whole family is is now exposed to this disease and now the whole family is sick so instead of losing just one person now you're going to lose everybody you know and just a quick recap for anybody who's uncertain 
plenty of videos, I'm sure, but just uh, briefly, what does Ebola do to a person? So Ebola has several stages. And I'm not saying I'm an expert because I'm not. I just yeah. I can go on. I look looked on Wikipedia just like everybody else did, and we get a few little talks here and there at the CDC, or they they offer information that you can go to that's available to everyone that you can go and learn things from. But generally, it's nothing more than you can read off of a wiki. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, it takes about seven to ten days for for it to, to come out. It can uh, take up to 30 days. You can be a carrier for up to 30 days before you even start showing symptoms. And generally, it the incubation period is around seven to ten days. Generally. Are you, are you contagious during that period? You're only contagious when you start showing symptoms. So okay. the second you get a fever, that's when you start becoming contagious. Generally. That's terrifying. Yeah. So, so the second you start getting a fever and you start coughing and sneezing and whatever, that's when you're infectious. Because it's kind of like the flu, right? It's, I mean, everything is kind of like the flu. You know what I mean? It's yeah, the yeah. same general symptoms. You feel like shit, you start puking, you start shitting yourself. Like, <laughs> it's, everything is pretty much, from that perspective, everything is like the flu. Yeah. But the, the, uh, the starting symptoms, fever. Nausea, diarrhea, and then by then, by and that's and that's the that's like the first two two stages. And then after that, you start heading into because your body at that point is so weak, you're unable to really fight the progression. You don't have the electrolytes, you don't have the fluid, you don't have the the nutrients that you need for your body to sustain a high level of a, of a immune immune response, right? And so that's when things like hemorrhaging, where you start another and bleeding out of all of your orifices, that's when that starts happening because it's attacking your body's ability to clot. And so the only reason blood is inside of your body and doesn't pass outside of your body is because you have this thing called a blood blood barrier, right? So that the blood is a certain size and a certain polarity, and all of your veins and your skin are a whole another polarity. Right, and so it contains it in a nice little package inside of your body. And so, if you have a disease that is directly attacking your ability of your body to clot and to stop that barrier, and then it's just leaking blood. And so that's where people will start leaking, have, having nosebleeds. They'll start bleeding out of the mouth. Start bleeding out of the eyes, their ears, their genitalia, like any sort of exposed surface where there would normally be a barrier to stop it from occurring, that's when people start bleeding. And generally, once you hit that point, you don't have a whole lot longer. You know, right. That's when organ failure sets in. Yeah. Because then your blood pressure, you don't have enough blood to sustain your blood pressure in your body. So your body, then your heart's trying too hard to pump the blood that it doesn't really have. Because you don't have blood pressure. Because you don't have enough blood pressure to keep, to keep pumping it efficiently and effectively throughout your body. So essentially, things aren't getting the oxygen it needs to survive. And then from that point, the rest is history. Things start shutting down. You know, yeah. you don't have the nutrients because you aren't able to eat. You don't have the blood because you're losing it all. Mm -hmm. You have lack of blood pressure, so you're not able to circulate. And then eventually, things just start shutting off. And then that's when you go and 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is pretty much the end of your story. Like, go into shock and you die. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really not much further from there. It's just so sad. And the worst part, the worst part is, is, is like, we had someone come back from the CDC. Um, they were in Sierra Leone. And they went and uh, they helped with the outbreak there for, uh, for uh, several weeks. It was over a month. And the saddest thing that... I, you know that she had that she had said, you know, was that she she knew that you know this was a problem they were fighting. This is something not they I say they but people that live in that 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 country in that part of the world. This is something that they're fighting. This is their day to day life. This is something that they cannot run away from. This is something they will never escape. This is something that every moment of their life from from the, from that point onward. Is going to be affected by this, and that she just gets to go home to her cushy life back here in America. This yeah. is not a problem. People just have cars and luxury and running water and electricity. It's kind of hard to deal with this type of problem in a country where only one percent of the people have electricity. Yeah, and even less have running running water. You know what I mean? Like, and if you don't have that, you probably don't have the same knowledge base that we have the luxury of having. If you have that, if you if only one percent of the people have electricity, think about a hospital. How many hospitals do you think there are? How many doctors do you think there are? How much funding do you think they get to support those things? And of those hospitals, what does the hospital look like in comparison to ours? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of healthcare quality do you get? Exactly. And so it's like, what, what is, what is Ebola? Ebola is really only a problem in a country that doesn't have first world healthcare. In, in a country like America, they can give you experimental drugs. They can give you the serum. Not only that, worst case scenario, they'll keep pumping you full of blood until your body gets over the virus. Yeah, so you'll be okay because of... they keep giving you electrolytes. They keep filling you with blood. They keep treating the symptoms until your body is able to take care of itself. Because that's what really overcoming a disease is. People think you take a pill and the disease magically disappears. No, 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 no. The pill lowers the disease to a point that your body is then able to have its immune system kick in and take control of the scenario. You become well because your body makes you well. The pill does not do anything but take the reduced symptoms and put, put let's say, let's do, if you have like an infection, right? A bacterial infection, you can take an antibiotic. The antibiotic will reduce that bacterial infection to a point that your immune system is then able to handle it, as opposed to the infection just growing out of control because it's growing at a rate that is exceeding what your body is capable of, of control of reducing. You know what I mean? Right. And that goes back to therapies, where you need a you need a full, well-rounded therapy to treat somebody. You just can't give someone a pill and expect them to get better. Because that's just not how it works. It's just not how it works. In America, in, in, in our society, that's how we want. We want instant gratification. Go oh, pill, I'm good? Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. fine. Yeah, awesome, done. Like, <laughs> problem solved. Like, I'm going to go back to work and whatever, whatever. Go back to my life and my kids and my job. Like, great. But that's that's not the reality of it, though. And the, and the thing is, is that what's even worse is you have people in other parts of the world that don't even have that option. And that's what we're seeing here in Africa. And that's why Ebola is such a bad problem. And the and the even worse is that the economy of these countries is getting is getting ripped apart because yeah. of this disease. Because obviously they're not getting any trade. No one's coming in or out. 
You know, they're being blacklisted. Everyone's going, eh, yeah, Africa. Every, yeah, every, well, not just and that, but just those, those play, yeah, all of Africa, and specifically those places, too, where it's just like no one goes in or out. Yeah, there was a story where uh, a school kicked a kid out of, the, in America, they kicked a kid out of school because he was from a country in Africa, which wasn't even anywhere close to where Ebola is, but because they just don't know anything about it. Oh, it's Africa? Ooh, get away. Yeah. And it's just... It drives me nuts, but I get it. Like I get this, the fear. I just don't like fear mongering. It's edu- yeah. these are educators though. Like I'm confused. But see, but then you're going back. You're talking about teachers. I'm not talking about people that are there to help people necessarily learn. I'm talking about teachers. I'm talking about people who stand. Their, their, whatever. Who their rulers and beat knowledge into people's brains. You know, and I'm not saying all teachers are like that, but I say uh, a lot of these public schools, you know, unless there is a drive and an incentive to teach these kids, like the teachers are just there to make a paycheck. They're not there to really necessarily help kids learn, you know, and because they're only there for that reason, they have no incentive to go outside of themselves to go and do the research to gain a perspective, you know. Yeah, and that's and that's where there's there's breakdowns in the social structure that cause the issues that we are now seeing. Mm-hmm. And there's really no one to necessarily blame because everyone's to blame. Parents are to blame. Teachers are to blame. Board school boards to blame. The local governments to blame federal governments to blame. The world governments are to blame. You know? Just about everyone but the kids. And even at that, you know, exactly. You know? And you, I mean, it's some, and the thing is that the kids are blameless up to a point. Yeah. And then once you reach a certain age of, of understanding, you have your own ability to take it yeah. upon yourself to do it. No, I agree. I just feel like if you put somebody in a system that has... is broken. It's broken. It's never served them. They have no real thing except terrible examples of what to do. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. no one really helping you. And it's certainly true in a lot of areas, yeah. even in this country. Absolutely. But there's always the stories of the people that make it out of those places. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, just I just back, back, back during segregation, you know, when black people weren't allowed to go to school, I did W.D. Du Bois. Like, he was one of the, one of the very well-educated... You know, he was able to make plenty of tons of inventions, like, but that's because he went out of his way to learn how to how to read. Yeah, I, right? I just I don't I don't hold it against people for not having an incredible amount of drive in the no. face of that situation. But anyway, um, so <laughs> Ebola, I think we've gone in. Yeah, I, I, yeah, plenty of detail. Yeah, I just, <laughs> the whole thing is just sad. And end of story. The whole thing is just very sad. And I would just, I just really, I really hope that people can remove themselves from their own fear and put themselves in the perspective of the people it's actually affecting. Yeah. We've had like, one, two people die here in America. There's been over, I think, three thousand in Africa, if not more. Over over time, I think with just this outbreak, it's been a few thousand people. Yeah, yeah, and it's only say, getting bigger. You know, I, I thought it was four. Yeah, I thought I thought it was like three, five, maybe more. But I mean, it could be it could be much much bigger than that. The thing is that it's hard to tell the numbers. 
Yeah, because who's... Because no one's talking about it. Because now everyone over there is blacklisting other people who they think are sick. If you're sick, period, mm-hmm. you're, you're thrown to the side. They, they quarantine you. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, your family, your friends, your neighbors, no one has contact with you. You're blacklabeled. No one wants to be a part of, part of your life anymore. They would just rather see you just die off, you know, than than be there to help only because, as we were talking about, the people who are afflicted are not necessarily the people who are sick, but are the people who are trying to help those people. Those are the ones who get really screwed. And those are the ones who end up spreading it to everybody else. Yeah, or the people get out of treatment, like they've recovered completely, and then they go back to their village because people understand. They don't understand that they're now immune. Yeah, they're ostracized completely, mm-hmm. and it, you know, and that's it, it. It's a great thing to see when those people come back and they're helping Ebola patients because they're the only people that are actually immune to it. They're the only people that have the have the true ability to be able to stand there and take the onslaught of this of this virus mm-hmm. and, and actually have no fear because they've already gone through it. Their body's already immune to it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. They're, out, they're completely ostracized from their friends and their family and everyone that they hold dear. And then it's like, what do they do with their lives? Yeah, you know? I, I can't imagine. I, I neither can I. And that's and that's where it, that's where I just say it, the whole thing is just really sad. And you know, I wish I wish there was something more that we could do as a society to help them because it's not just individuals. You can send 50 doctors over there, but 50 doctors isn't going to solve the problem. No, no, and there's... <laughs> no, and there's over 4,000 people dead or whatever. Yeah. And, and there's that many probably equal that are sick. And who knows how many really... Like, yeah, where are the real numbers? Because there's no real information. There's no real infrastructure to find out that type of consensus on our set, uh, on that consensus of the census mm-hmm. of people who are sick. So... Um... Are there so let's let's let that one pass because I feel yeah, like yeah keep going that. about that. that. Um, are there are there any other things you'd like to highlight? Um, <laughs> I of course, deforestation across the world. <laughs> Air, we might need that. Yeah, and the air pollution coming from all countries. Yeah, not just ours. Particularly Russia, not Russia and China, but a lot, a lot from China. Yeah, China is the worst because we don't really, because of the firewall, there's a lot that we just don't know. Yeah. But I, I've seen so many videos of just like the, the beaches covered in just this nasty gunk and the sludge. The air is like, I can't imagine living in a place where, like, people think LA was bad when it has a peak, but I can't imagine having to wear a mask all the time just to not breathe that in all the time. Yeah, because you're constantly in, in a state of fear. Yeah, well, more um, than fear, becoming, just like yeah, of just being unable to breathe. That yeah, it's it's sad, it's sad, it's sad. But I mean, I, there's no, I don't, I think I'm, I think I'm touched on, touched enough on that. All right, well, let's let's Go move to the future. I like sure. future because I feel like it gives us hope and focus. So I don't believe in hope. Well, but just saying. I just mean, I just mean that uh, if you have no idea what to look at in the future, or people don't even think about it at all, sure. then you're stuck in this world of what everyone else is doing and, and worrying about the fear of Ebola and all this. Sure. But 
I, I like the idea of looking forward and deciding what we might want to do. So about having that perspective. Yeah. Being able to remove yourself from where you are to look where you're trying to to go to where you're heading, where you want to be. Exactly. Sure. So so on that, uh, what do you in terms of the next five years, what do you think and I'll let you choose if you want sure. to do uh, as a country, city, sure. or just the planet. But what do you think we need to focus on? Top top few things. The number one thing that we need to focus on: standard of living. Period. That's yeah. that's everything. That's that's everything. Because the second you are able to fulfill a person's basic needs for survival, you're, you give them an opportunity to think outside of themselves. When someone doesn't wake up in fear of where they're gonna get their food, where they're gonna get their water, how like whether they're gonna get sick or not, like how they're yeah, whether where they're gonna live, how they're gonna survive, they're able to think about things like education. They're able to think about things like building a community. They're able to think about things like like, like spirituality or religion or however you want to phrase that. They're able to think about things outside of themselves, which then helps that person put into perspective where and what they're trying to do with their lives. Because now you're not just fighting for survival like every other animal on this planet. Now you're a part of a cycle, you know? And now because you can see yourself a part of the cycle, you can find places where you can make your own niche and you can develop your own technique, your own way to give back to this circle. I feel like that's standard of living, everything, quality of life. That's that's where we need to be moving towards as a, as a species, as a planet, as everything. Because as soon as we start realizing that we don't need petrol, and that we can use other resources for alternative fuels, like that's when we can start improving the planet, doing less deforestation, like less pollution, you know, more 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 active permaculture or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, better ways of getting food that's less intrusive to the land, less destructive. Like that's where we can really start focusing on, on, on ways so that we don't have to work 40 hours a week, five days a week. Now we can have a machine that does this for us. Like, has anyone really asked that? Why we work? Why we're stuck in this work cycle when we have a machine that can do this for us? And that we have technology and we have software that's intelligent enough to have the machine tell itself when it's broken and how to fix itself. Like, is, why don't people ask these questions? You know, why are people not more focused on that instead of like who Kim Kardashian is talking like, <laughs> like when the next baby's gonna be or whatever? You know, like, yeah, no. I <laughs> you know what I mean? Like celebrities, celebrities and sports and all in politics are only there to distract us from the reality. And the reality is, is that we're we're a speck of dust floating in space, and that we're living on this speck, and that this speck is everything. It's everything that we have. It's everything that we will always have. As far as we're concerned, you know, yeah. like you can escape it, not very far. <laughs> and not for very long you know what I mean so, so get over yourself from that perspective and realize that everything here is attached everything here is linked and that by cutting by snuffing something out you're, you are directly affecting yourself 
inadvertently in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And that's, and see, that's, and I feel like we're, we're heading to that point. We're getting close. There's this thing called metagenomics, and this is the future. Metagenomics is, is basically broad spectrum genotyping, right? Okay. So basically, it's going to get to the point where, let's say you have a cough, you're sick, you're sick, mm-hmm. you spit in a cup, or they take a blood sample, and then they take your blood sample or your spit and they extract all the DNA out of it, right? And then they blast it, boom, they do all, they genotype all of that DNA. They're able to say, okay, well, this is all natural to the human body, so we're going to eliminate all of this DNA. And this is all the genetic human DNA from the person. We're going to eliminate that DNA. And this is this and that is that. And so you're left with a very small spectrum of DNA that is unidentified, that is not natural to that person. So that would be like bacteria, viruses. Exactly. And then you can take that and blast that, use it uh, against a, a database. And I say blast because there's a database called blast. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay. This is like literally when you say blast, it's like let's blast it. It's like okay, we're gonna, take, like, we're gonna go to the database and we're gonna literally blast it, <laughs> and we're gonna figure out we can narrow it down to a certain, and we can have, and you can narrow it down to x to like the top ten diseases that you think it is: parasites or viruses or fungus or bacteria, and then from there you can narrow that down based on the percentage of how well it matched that species, that genotype. You know what I mean? Like that genetic information. It's like, oh, you know, we got a 50% chance that it's the 50% matchup for flu. We got a 25% matchup for, you know, whatever, whatever. Looks like we got a 97% match for this. Probably that. And so that takes, because people think doctors are really, really smart. Sad to say, doctors, unless they're a specialist, a general practitioner doctor is just a pill giver. He's a designated pill giver. He hears what symptoms you have, he thinks about it, and then he's like, I will give you drugs to treat your symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Okay? He doesn't know what disease you have. He doesn't know what's wrong with you. And you can do a shit ton of testing, but it doesn't mean that you're going to find the exact, it is species, genotype, mm-hmm. genus, you know what I mean? Like, right. is there, doesn't mean doctors he, aren't doctors. Cows. Yeah, he's not going to just pinpoint. He's not going to look at you and be like, oh, yeah, you've totally got Mycobacterium canetii with uh, resistance to drug, drug, drug. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not, he's, this isn't an x ray vision. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a dude. He's a, he's a person. I'll even remove gender. He's a, he's a person. <laughs> it is a person <laughs> that gives you drugs based on your symptoms and is there to help you to heal. Right, because your body does most of the healing. The drugs don't do the healing. Your body does the healing, and so now we're moving to a point with bioinformatics, where you can actually figure out exactly what it is. And so now, instead of having it just float in space and being like, "I wonder what the problem really is," you can actually figure out. You can be like, "Hey, look, we did it. We did some genotyping based on your your blood sample, and we were able to label it down to this and this." And so I think the best idea is to get you onto this drug regimen, because this type of therapy, mm-hmm. because I because it doesn't even have to be drugs. Yeah. it's just whatever is required. Exactly. And so it's like based on the results from your genotyping, we are we think it's a good idea to start you on this type of therapy, 
in order to help you heal and to, to live a better quality of life. Because that's what it all comes down to. It comes down to quality of life. You look at people who are angry, especially people in Africa or the Middle East, mm -hmm. and why are they so angry? It's because they don't have the same quality of life that we do. They don't yeah. have the same rights that we do. You know, they're still out there literally surviving. Yeah. I, I hate to keep coming back to that, but I mean, it's that's, a thing, that's what though. it is. That's what it is. You can't, you can't, well, I, I think about this too, like, if you have, so think about successful people, or whatever you want to label that as, most of the time the people that get to the very top of that level of success are often miserable, and if, if they're, they're getting joy, it's oftentimes because they have something, or they, because they have something that other people don't. Yeah, like, it's, but it's a short-term satisfaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's short-term. It's not long-lasting satisfaction of, of that peace that you have inside of you, knowing that you're doing something that not only feels right, but is right. It's the short-term satisfaction of, ha-ha. <laughs> I've got it, you don't. <laughs> or I yeah. can do this and you can't. You yeah. know what I mean? But I think most people don't realize that in terms of the world, we are that. That's just yeah. that everyone else around you is too, so you don't think anything of it. Exactly. I, you know, I feel I, I feel like at least the problem specifically, if I could if I could say one word, it's greed. I feel like that's that's literally what it all comes down to. It's greed. You think about the the descent from from the from the lowest population, not the lowest, but the poorest population here in America to the highest. Why there's all this anger, and frustration, and even at that, from the from the lower class to the middle class, it's because of greed. Because the lower class feels cheated. They feel cheated. They're working their asses off, turning the gears that everyone else is experiencing as just normal flow of life. Yeah, like and they're not receiving the same standard of healthcare. They're not receiving the same quality of life that everyone else is. And that's because they feel cheated because the people above them are withholding from giving them that quality of life. Not necessarily like any, it should be given to like you should just give someone everything they ask for. But I yeah. think there's a, re, there's a reasonable level at which people should be able to live. There's a, where your basic needs are being met. I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think that's out of the realm of reality. You know, I don't think that's unapproachable. No, definitely not. Uh, so that's what you think we should focus on. What do you think will actually happen in the next five years? What's your What's your take on that? Either something or nothing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so like trivial. It sounds so trivial. Well, but I mean, we've been pretty idle for a while. In what way? We've been very, like, culturally, we've been very idle. Like, there are other, I mean, America. I mean, and not only America, but other countries. Yeah, but it's really not. If you want to play the Democrat Republican game, you've already lost. Because oh. neither side is trying to help you. No, for sure. You know what I mean? And so whether you're voting Democrat or whether you're voting Republican, you're still being idle because you're still voting for the same cycle that isn't moving forward. That's different. You're not progressing. 
Yes, but not really. Because those political influences influence culture. Because it goes back to the parents. Because the parents are constantly working. Because they're being influenced by a political society that says consumerism and greed is good. And this is the only way you can move ahead in life. So you have people who are not focused on a family unit. Who are not putting ethnicity and culture into their child and raising them to be a functioning member of a, of, a, of a much larger society, then you have that breakdown. And that breakdown is what causes all of these problems in the future and causes dissemination between classes of people where they don't feel tied together anymore. They don't feel like they're a part of the same group. They feel separate. They feel isolated. And that's where you have the, all these angry people because they feel alone. They don't feel like they're part of something. They don't feel like their voice is being heard. Do you think we ever had that, though? I think at one point in time it was there. For it had to have been there, otherwise we wouldn't be here. Maybe but for I feel white like, people. I mean, uh, yeah. White people are the ones that started this country. So, so yes. But also, white people are the ones that <laughs> persecuted ourselves to start this country. Right? Because we came from England because of religious persecution. Yeah. To 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 start a to be in a place where there we could escape that type of not only the taxation, but to escape that religious persecution. To start a whole another just to, to have our own entity. Yeah. Right. So you know we could we could talk about race, but this goes for all races because all races have done this to themselves. You know. It's not. It's not just. Yeah, white yeah. people. It's not just black people, because you talk about you want to talk about black people. Africans were selling Africans to America, so you know yeah. you, you can go there too. You know what I mean? You can talk you can. about you can talk about the Crusades. You know, like it all it all it all comes back. It all comes back. We all do it to ourselves. We all do it to ourselves. And yes, there there is. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying at this point in time in the world there is definitely a male white male dominated society. Yeah. Not saying that. I'm just saying I'm pulling out the perspective of saying, yes, this is where we're here now. But throughout all of history, this is something that has been repeated over and over again from different races, different standpoints. And so you just can't label it as such because it is a continuing theme that has always been there. So you're still not treating the problem. You can talk about white power, white racism. Sure. But that's not still dealing with the core, which is anger. Anxiety, hatred, fear, and that and quality of life, and all of that stems from not having the same quality of life as someone else has, and feeling like you need to take it from them because you cannot ask it of them, because mm -hmm. you don't think they are willing to give it to you, or help you get to their level. You know what I mean? Or you're not even. It's just easier to take it than to then ask in the first place. Anyway. Exactly. That comes back to takers and leavers, yeah. and that goes all the way back to Daniel Quinn. And Ishmael, mm -hmm. <laughs> and going back to the to this ideal of takers and leavers, right. and how and how society began, and where we moved from nomadic people to agriculturalists, and how agriculturalists snuffed out all the nomads because they were the land was free, and it was everybody's. Now, when you have agriculture, you have something to protect, because if you don't have that crop come through, your people don't eat. And if you have a population that's growing and exceeding what you can grow to feed them, now you need to take over more land to sustain this population. And so now you have all these nomads that 
can't live there anymore. It's, they're blocked out of this area because now you need it for what you need, want for your people. You know funny, what I mean? Funny how the answer is never to just grow more efficiently. <laughs> yeah. Just take more. Yeah, it's just, but it's only, it's to take because in a, in a society of takers, you are never satisfied because you're constantly taking. There's, there's separation. Which goes back to taking, greed. Which goes back to greed. And so that's what I'm saying. It, it's really, if you follow it, it's really not that complicated. It's a closed loop. It's a very small closed loop revolving around the same ideals that have been there since the dawn of, of, of this planet's consciousness. Whether it was animals taking from other animals or humans taking from other humans. It's always been there. Bacteria taking over other bacteria. Plants taking over other plants. Like, yeah, yeah. it's always been there. Nothing's changed. Like, so we gotta, if we're really gonna solve something, Got to remove ourselves. Got to take a step back. We have to absorb it all. Let's be like, why are we here? How did it come to this? You have to have one of those oh shit moments. You're <laughs> like, fuck. How did it all come to this? And you're like, oh, it's my fault. <laughs> Not just me as me personally, but it's it's all of our fault. Right. And that it would take if. As you, what, what do I see in the future? Something or nothing. <laughs> if people continue on the path we're currently on 10 years from now, we're still going to be talking about the same issues. Nothing will have changed. Government will have changed. Maybe a war might have happened. Then again, wars have happened in the past. And I don't see a whole lot of difference from before the war and then well after the war. People are still living. People are still getting sick. People are still having kids. Doesn't seem like a whole lot's really changed. A war happened, people died. Well, look at that. People started populating again. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh, we got electricity. And, oh. we, yeah, yeah. and so it's like and so it's like has things really changed? No. So let's so let's keep it all in perspective. Yeah. You know? And it's, so you're saying if you remove yourself from being any one person or any group, like just objectively look at it, it's the same shit going on. It's the same shit. If you remove yourself from being a self-identity, of being for me, if I remove myself from being a Paul Grabowski that's living on a planet in an apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, I am then able to allow myself a chance to experience right this entire world that is then out there that is also experiencing the same thing as me. But now I can empathize with what they in, are doing to realize that they aren't a they. They are us. Right? Just different people. Different yes. people. Do do unto others as you would have done unto you. Right? Golden rule. <laughs> now, what do you consider others? That's, that's the key word in that rule that dictates how you affect other people. Not just other people, but other things. Because if you consider others to only be humans, then you're only going to concern yourself with the relationships you have with your fellow human beings. But others, if you look at genetically, we share almost, what is it, 50% of the DNA, our DNA we share with banana? Yeah, like you know something I mean? crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a ridiculously large number. Like, we're really close genetically to everything on this planet. So others isn't just humans. Others is literally everything that's floating on this speck of dust 
in this giant thing called space. Yeah, and if, really? that, and if that's not enough, we've had these studies that show that plants can uh, remember, predict, communicate. Sure. So, so yeah, using chemical signals and not only that, but like the ninety percent of your junk DNA that they don't know what it is, stored information. Stored information is stored information from not your past life, but from your parents and their parents and their parents and their parents, 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 and it goes back, and that's why the human genome is so big. Because we've been alive a long enough time to amass a, all of this information. And that's why only 10% of it's necessary for survival. You know, to make something live requires a lot. But comparatively, it's very small. Compared to what is there. Compared to what's really there. You know what I mean? I'm talking about 10% of 90%. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a very small number, you know? And so I feel like if people were just able to sit down and say, maybe the world doesn't revolve around me. Maybe I'm revolving around the world. Maybe we're all revolving around the world. And if we're all revolving around the world, then maybe there's something much bigger here to focus on than maybe just we're standing myself. On it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe just maybe we're standing on it that we should be the standing on the thing we should be focusing on. Okay. I think that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's, my, that's, that's my two cents. Obviously, it took two hours to get there. <laughs> but It's all good? Yeah. So, I like to end these lightly with just, what do you want to do with yourself in the next five years? That's a, that's a tough one, man. Because it's one of those things, like we were talking at the very beginning of this conversation with internet because it opens up so many once you realize how many possibilities are open to yourself and what you can do and how unlimited you are the lack of limitation that is before you right mm -hmm. then you, you it could be very daunting to think about what you want to do with your life you could you could be anything what could what would you want to be yeah you know and i feel like i i think i think what i would like to do is I, is, is I can do anything. I've done art, done science. You know, I've con you know, I've played instruments. I've seen, you know, I've seen everything. Love to go out and travel. You know, I'd love to get to get to know a whole lot of people. But in the end, the things that I'm good at, is I'm I'm really good at, at you know, I'm really good at chemistry and biology. Like that's that's kind of my home, and it's something that uh despite what people realize, it's something that's still very new. Chemistry has only been really here for the past, like, hundred years. I mean, like, alchemy's been around for mm -hmm. a while. Smelting the metallur metallurgy has been here for much longer. But talking about... You truly understanding what it is. Chemistry. Like, talking about the interactions of atoms, chemicals, on an atomic level. You know, and then to go a step above that from chemistry to biology, because biology is just chemistry on a macro scale. Instead of dealing with 100 grams per mole of a substance, you're dealing with kilodaltons, right? Thousands and thousands of grams per mole, or you know, millions of grams per mole, depending on whether it's a genome or it's a protein or it's a, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's chemistry on a big scale. And so I feel like that's that's home. And so I feel like I'm just going to stay there. And my goal in life, the reason I feel like I'm here 
and I came back to this lifetime to be here with everybody is so I could find a way to help people and not just help people because helping people is very general help people with their quality of life because as I said before the second you can give someone a higher quality of life they are then able to focus on things that are not themselves and that's where you get a hive mind mindset where people are then a part of the community they're a part something that is bigger than themselves where they're able and they feel comfortable giving of themselves to those to those avenues you know to not only just help better them but to help better the world around them because your mind is everything you see outside of your body is projection of what is inside of your body not like the blood like your mind like your mind is a pro it projects outside of itself what it is seeing and what it feels you know i feel like right now the world is in such a shitty place because people on the inside are in a shitty place and they're unsure of who they are and what they want to be what they want to do with their lives and they don't know how to help and they don't know how to be strong and all it takes is standing up and being counted that's what that's what if you want to talk about change that's what will change things if you want to talk about changing nothing to something it's about people saying i am one and where i am one there is another and where there is another there is many and where there is many there is a majority and where there's a majority that's when things can happen that's when you can make policy that's when you can actually sit down and tell someone i can help you and i will make a difference in your life and by making a difference in their life they can make a difference in their own life, in their own community. And so we're not constantly funding money just to make, just to fund money. We're teaching people how to make their lives better within their own communities. And I think in the end, that's what I would like to do. If I could, if I could develop a drug to heal someone, to give them more time in their life, to improve their quality of life, that they can then take that, take that love and compassion and give it to their own people where they live. That's that's everything. A love pill. Yeah. If I, I mean, not just like literally love pill, but yeah. If I could, if I could encapsulate my empathy and my compassion and my love, and if I could find a way to give that to someone and to have them become healed from whatever disease, whether mental or physical, that is afflicting them, that they can then take that love and compassion give it to somebody else spreads like wildfire man you never know how far you can reach especially with the internet you never know yeah. how far you can reach it's impressive isn't it yeah it's Just... pretty it's pretty impressive <laughs> it's mind it's mind-blowing i remember dial-up <laughs> i remember yeah. aol was only good for porn and video games like <laughs> jesus like and then the chat rooms chat rooms yeah that was a that was a whole whoa that's a whole nother story like pop-ups yeah like, <laughs> that was when we realized how weird other people were because otherwise you just had your friends yeah. and celebrities and that's yeah it. that was it that was it and you of course your family and you know whatever social outlets you had in your church or school or but relatively minimal yeah very minimal yeah so, yeah the world's amazing the world's amazing and i feel like if people would all get on board with being counted, it would be a much better place. I agree. Yeah. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Paul. Yeah. Had a good time. Absolutely. Had a great time. Always a good conversation. We'll do this again. <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. God All right, everyone. Um, so to recap, Paul, is there any? Do you have like a website or anything you want to plug? Um, I have a Facebook. You can look me up, Paul Lawrence L A W R E N C E Grabowski G R Z Y B O W S K I. Look me up on Facebook. If you add me, I will I will add you back. If you want, you can always message me. There's no guarantee whether I can get back. I'm really busy, but you know I'm I'm here, and um, you know for sure if you go and keep poking Heath, he will come back and talk to me, and I am more than willing to answer any and all of your questions to the best of my abilities. You know, once again, God bless you all, and I love you. I really mean that. Well, on that, bye everybody. See you next time.